Have you ever been in a place where you wanted to have a deeper faith in God, but you just couldn't shake the feelings of doubt? Maybe, maybe you really wanted to believe that God was with you, but it just felt like he was nowhere to be found. Maybe you really wanted to believe that he has a purpose for you, but you felt completely unworthy to have one. What I want to do in, in today's message is to give you a framework for what you should do when there's a conflict between your faith and your feelings and how to reconcile those two things together. Today we're starting a new series called Done With That. And what is it that we want to be done with? We want to be done with certain things that God brings up in his word that he wants us to replace. Uh, there, there are some things that God says, I want you to be done with that. And today we're going to see how he wants us to be done with a faith that is constantly changing because of our feelings. And by the end of the message, I, I want to show you from, from an, uh, an account of Jesus how he actually turns it around. God gives you a faith that isn't manipulated by your feelings, but a faith that actually informs your feelings. So if you want to be done with a faith that constantly wavers and you're not sure who God is or where he is, this is the message for you. Now, a quick tip. If, if you want to fail a New Year's resolution, I'm going to give you one tip. Here's how to fail a New Year's resolution. You ready? If you want to, if you want to fail, just focus on what you're not going to do in the new year. For example, if you want to you know, eliminate evening snacks that are just full of calories and provide no nutritional value, just tell yourself over and over again at 6 o'clock, I will not eat tonight, I will not eat tonight, I will not eat tonight, and you will fail. Um, if, if you want to stop binging late at night, all the Netflixes until 2 in the morning, um, the way to fail is by telling yourself, I will not watch TV, I will not watch TV, I will not watch TV. Even researchers say that if you focus on what you will not do, you will be very unsuccessful in what you want to change. The key is to replace it with something else. I will not eat bad food at night, but I will hydrate. I will not binge on Netflix, but I will binge on North Cross Sermon podcasts. I will not be angry in the car, but I will listen to certain music that calms me down. When you replace something old with something better, that's how a resolution becomes part of your habit, part of your routine. And in the next several weeks, we're going to show you how God's Word actually gives this to us in important ways. Taking what's old and replacing it with something new, something better. And rather than being driven by your feelings to the point where it affects your faith, God's going to replace that today with something else. He's going to give you a faith that informs even your feelings. And right away, I want to highlight how uncertain our feelings can be. Um, here's a few statements I'll put up on the screen. First of all, you can feel safe and be in danger at the exact same time. Did you know that? You can feel safe and be in danger at the same time. Just drive with a teenager. You can feel safe. Maybe you don't feel safe. You can feel in danger and be safe 
at the same time. Sometimes you've noticed this. Maybe you're watching a scary movie late at night. Something startles you. You hear a noise, and it's in your mind. All these things come to mind. What could it be? Or you start to feel a weird pain in your side, and you think, okay, it's cancer. Or you search Google, and it gives you all the bad things it could be, and your mind fills up with all the horrible things. In reality, you just shouldn't have eaten pizza the day before. You can feel safe and be in danger at the same time. Your feelings aren't always reliable. Here's something that's also common. You can feel hated by someone, but be loved by them at the same time. They seemed awfully quiet. Did I say something? Did I do something? The way they looked at me, just with their stone glare, like, what did I do? Did I... They must be angry at me. They must hate me. In reality, they were just deep in thought. And they really love you. They admire you. And they're, they're planning a present for your next birthday. But you feel hated by them while you're actually being loved by them at the same time. Your feelings don't always match up with reality. Um, here's another one. You can feel alone and be surrounded at the same time. I think social media has ingrained this truth into us. We're surrounded by people, in theory, but we feel so alone. Long story short, what you feel might not be real. Our feelings can be deceitful. In fact, you see this in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, where it says, Above all, the heart is deceitful. It's deceitful above all things. It will tell you something is true. It will open up a world of possibilities of what might be true, but what's real might not be what you feel. So what we're going to see today is this. Number one, God wants you to have a faith that informs your feelings. Rather than taking everything from your feelings and seeing all the possibilities that might be true, what if you had something higher that you could pull from Something independent of your feelings that you know is true and verified, and it can inform the way you feel. I've heard that in very, very, very old ships that were made of metal, they would actually have to have two compasses. One was where everyone could see it on the deck, but because of the magnetic interference, it couldn't always be reliable, so they would have to have a second compass at the top. I don't know the name of the boat parts, okay? But... You had to climb up high away from the metal hole in order to get a reliable reading. And today I want to show you how faith in Jesus, Jesus actually gives you a faith that gives you a reliable read on what's true. You don't have to follow your feelings. You have something much more reliable. And today we're going to look at Mark chapter 9 to see how this could be true. Because as it turns out, it's not just people in 21st century that struggle with, where is God? Is he with me? Or do I have a purpose from him? Or am I unworthy? People in Jesus' day even wrestled with those questions. And one day, it was actually Jesus' very own disciples who got into a place where their feelings were starting to overwhelm their faith. So I'm going to pick it up in Mark chapter 3, where we see Jesus pick his first disciples. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that, they, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. That would be a cool job offer. Jesus walks up to you, hey, I'm going to teach you some things. Could you share what I teach you with other people? Oh, and by the way, you're going to cast out demons too. Like that would be amazing. And so they follow him. And then Mark chapter 6 
This is what happens. He sends them out, and they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Just imagine the excitement when they're able to help people in this way, curing people of these demon possessions and curing them of physical ailments. In fact, Luke, as he records these events, he notes one time when Jesus sent people out to do these things, they came back and said, Jesus, Jesus, it was amazing. We were casting out demons. Peter healed a guy. It was crazy. And Jesus says, I know. I saw Satan fall like lightning. It's amazing. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There's, there's this excitement, this buzz going around. And things were going great until they weren't. In Mark chapter 9, it records how Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to a little mountain, and he gave them an experience that they would never forget. While they were on this mountain, it was as if heaven opened up, and they, like heaven came down, and they heard the voice of the Father. They saw Elijah. They saw these visions they couldn't explain, and Peter, overwhelmed with what he was seeing, he was afraid. He said, let's, let's put up some tents. Let's stay here for a while, and he, he, his feelings were misdirecting his, his direction. And so Jesus says, no, we can't stay here. They, they come down off the mountain and they find the other nine. The, the, the nine who weren't Peter, James, and John, just the regular, you know, the average people like you and me. And what happened next is where the disciples had to learn a lesson in how to let their faith inform their feelings rather than letting their feelings inform their faith. So when they came down, they saw the other nine disciples. They saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law, who were vehemently opposed to Jesus, they were just looking for reasons to get rid of him. The, the teachers of the law were arguing with the nine. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. And I almost wish that line was at the end of our text because it almost gives us this takeaway application that when you're not sure who to listen to, seek Jesus and be overwhelmed. Let your feelings be overwhelmed by who he is and what he brings. And so the people ran to Jesus and that's where the solution began. And when Jesus sees them, he says, what are you, what are you arguing about? What's going on? Here I go off with my three close friends, Peter, James, and John, for a while. I come back down, and now there's this commotion, this arguing, like, what happened while we were gone? And so a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit, and this spirit has robbed him of speech. Whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him to the ground he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And as 21st century scientific people, we read these symptoms and we come to the conclusion, well, didn't he just have epilepsy? Weren't these just seizures? After all, it says it seized him. Well, what's important to note is in Matthew chapter 4, they distinguish between epilepsy and demon possession. Uh, Matthew 4 talks about people bringing to Jesus all who were ill with various diseases, including those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, epilepsy, and the paralyzed. And four different categories, Jesus was able to heal them all, whether it was a spiritual issue or a physical one. Jesus addressed it. 
These weren't just superstitious people who saw epilepsy and said, oh, it must be a demon, but this was actually a demon who was interfering with this person's physical way of life. And so the disciples, the nine, they said, we, we got this. Bring him here. But as best as they tried, it didn't work. The father went on. I, he said, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. And I'm not sure who was the first one to, to try. Maybe Bartholomew. I just like his name. He walks up. He says his thing. He does his thing. I command you to get out of him. But the spirit said no. Maybe he confers with the others. Maybe they try two at a time. Maybe all nine of them put their hands on this, this, this person. We're not sure how it all worked, but the conclusion was these nine couldn't get the job done. Something had happened. Something had changed. They weren't feeling like they had the power to do what they wanted to do. And so here's where I would expect a kind, compassionate, and loving Jesus to come up to his nine and to also address the people in the crowd and just come with compassion and say, I know this is scary. I know demon possession isn't something you want to see. I know you all must be upset. It's okay. I know this is hard. I would expect him to come up and just kind of put his arm around the people. But instead, this is what his kindness and compassion looked like. He said, you unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. He's showing some frustration, and his frustration is over that one word, unbelieving. It's not that they weren't trying hard enough. It's that their focus was in the wrong place. Unbelieving. This is something that we need to take to heart also. There's going to be a lot of circumstances in your life that are suboptimal. That means not good. And in these suboptimal circumstances in your life, sometimes relational issues, sometimes financial stress, debt, uncertainties, medical things going on, what I know is that it's going to be really easy to call on God and complain to him about the kind of life he's given to you. God, I thought you loved me. God, I thought you listened to me. God, I thought if I just believed in you, things would get better. They're not. And it's, it's easy to complain to, to God about all the circumstances of life, but what we learn from Jesus is that while God wants to hear from you and hear about the circumstances of your life, as if he doesn't already know, we have to be careful with the way we complain to God. Uninformed feelings will leave you overwhelmed. And this is where we see the disciples. They, they were being guided and navigated by these feelings of unworthiness. They didn't have what it took. And the moment they were met with frustration over what they were trying to do, which is help a person, the moment they felt that, they immediately went inward. Have you ever done that? Maybe you're standing up in front of a large group of people and all of a sudden you get so self-focused that you forget what you're supposed to say. I have these nightmares all the time. Or, or maybe you're giving a presentation, or you're doing something that you've, you knew what you were going to do, but as soon as the attention was on you, you just became so self-focused that you just lost everything. And it seems, based on the context, it seems that's what happened to the nine. 
they got so focused on this crowd around them and the teachers of the law who were criticizing them that they became so inwardly focused. And they thought that they could just command a demon to leave and it would listen to them. And the demon must have said, who are you to tell us what to do? So, the story continues. They, they brought this person to Jesus, the, the, boy's, the, the man's son. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it did what often happens when a person brings their problems to God, seeking a solution. Perhaps one final fling, one final exercise of his power, the spirit threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth and... For, for those parents, you know the feeling of if your child is going through something and you bring them to the doctor, you know that's going to be the day they're not having that issue, right? But this is the day that this person brought to Jesus and right away, the Spirit reveals itself through what it does to this poor person. And I love what Jesus does next. Jesus asked the boy's father, tell me about this. How long has this been going on? You know, did he, did he have an accident? Did something happen? And the, the father said, from childhood. It, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, would you take pity on us and help us? Can you imagine telling your story, if you're this father, telling this story while there's a crowd surrounding you, Every day I fear for my son's life. This thing in him isn't just some neutral thing that happens. It is actively trying to destroy him, rip him apart, kill him. And this has happened since childhood. I want to take this and apply it to you real quickly. If, If there's something going on in your life right now, a behavior, a mindset, a habit, and you know... God doesn't like it. What would Jesus ask you? I think our fear is the moment we acknowledge to Jesus we've got this issue and we lay it before him, he's going to go, you, you idiot, <laughs> you fool. Why'd you, I told you not to do that. Why are you doing it? Stop. But instead, Jesus would ask a question. How long has this been going on? As if he doesn't know. And you know what? Our answer would have to be the same. To be honest, Jesus... This habit, this thing, this behavior, this mindset, it's been in me since childhood. Truly, I've been sinful from birth. And this isn't something that I want to do, it's just something that's in me. Only you can fix this, only you can take it. And so this this father comes to Jesus. No doctor can fix this. No amount of sleep. We've tried all the diets. Nothing helps. But if you can help, would you please have pity on us? Would you please help us? And then Jesus answers with some popular words. He says, if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Everything is possible for the one who believes. If you can. And have you ever used phrases like this too? As, as you're maybe confessing sins, like, God, if you could forgive me, if you still have a purpose for me. 
Anytime you say if, Jesus asks a question. What do you mean if? There is grace for people like you because there's grace for everyone. There is purpose for anyone who has found their identity in Christ. There's hope. What do you mean if? Anything is possible for the one who believes. And then what this father responds with is, I think, a great prayer that we should all pray. He says, I do believe. Would you help me overcome my unbelief? I do believe in you. Would you help me overcome my unbelief? There's two different kinds of faith, or two different ways to look at it. One is the objective sense. Your faith is in an object, is in something. And in that case, when it comes to faith in Jesus, the objective view of your faith never changes. Jesus never changes. The price he paid for you never changes. His death never changes. His resurrection victory never changes. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Objectively, your faith is unchanging. But then there's the subjective side of faith also. The way that we feel in response to it and the way that we react from it. Objectively, you know God is there. Jesus died and rose again. But subjectively, there's times of doubt. There's times of wonder. There's the knowledge, but then there's the feelings. There's the faith, but then there's the emotions. And the way this father responded to Jesus is a way that Sometimes I've prayed to God, God, I believe, Jesus, I believe, would you help me overcome my unbelief? Would you take my unbelief and form it the way it needs to be formed? And so when it comes to the circumstances in your life and the things you want God to change and the things you might complain about, (laughs) even if they're your own fault, here's what we learned from the Father in this account. That when you feel like complaining to God, would you begin by complaining about your very own unbelief first? Because isn't it true that God has overcome any circumstance in this world because he has already overcome sin and death for you? And because of that, what we experience in this world is just a very small sliver of the eternity that will be awaiting you. So when you complain about the circumstances in your life, and God wants to hear your prayers, he wants to answer them, but when you complain about them, would you first complain, God, the reason I'm complaining about this to begin with is because I don't have the faith to see things the way that you see them. Would you help me believe? I do believe, but would you help my unbelief? And that's a prayer God loves to answer. And the way that the account concludes is that Jesus now talking to this father and seeing this son on the ground in a convulsion, um, Jesus glances around and, and he sees that there's a crowd running to the scene. There's commotion. People are gasping and there starts to be this crowd. And, and maybe Jesus, out of his compassion, doesn't want to make this a scene for this, this son who's in this medical condition. And so Jesus simply rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Now, there's all sorts of traditions outside of Christianity, outside of the Bible, when it comes to the idea of demon possession. Uh, Some call on higher spirits to help exercise the spirit that's possessing the person. Some bring these really stinky, smelly roots or other things, and they maybe make smoke. The idea is that they're making it more uncomfortable for this spirit to stay in the person than to leave. 
Jesus doesn't have to destroy a person in order to remove the demon. He can spare the person by simply rebuking the demon and commanding it what to do. And so the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. But unfortunately, the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. So what if Jesus has power over demons, but the cost comes at a human life? But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And the reason he can do this is because it would be a different life that he would set down to settle the score between you and God. It is true, the devil has claim over you from birth. Your sins extracted so great a price that you belong to him. But at the cost of his own life, that that payment, that cost has been erased. And so his healing to you comes freely without any damage to you. He forgives. He heals. And the disciples, they're watching this. They're like, why couldn't we do that? In fact, as Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? We said the same things you did. We command you to get out of him, get out of him. And here's what Jesus responded. He said, this kind can come out only by prayer. And some versions that are a little bit later, on some copies of the manuscript, they include by prayer and fasting. And there's disagreements about what this might mean, but the long story short is that it seems like the disciples, the nine, had become so inwardly focused that they forgot that they were merely conduits to the power of Jesus. It was not their power or their command that made demons flee. It was in the name by the power of Jesus and on account of his payment for us that they were subject to their words. And that brings us to our final conclusion for us today. Sometimes when we get caught up in a moment, we might become so inwardly focused that we lose sight of the greater purpose and power that is available to you. And if you're meeting with a growth group this week, you can even talk about this. Sometimes when you experience success because of your faithfulness, like the 12 did, when you experience success because of your faithfulness, that can lead to a temptation of becoming inwardly self-focused and forgetting the true focus of where your faith is in. So here's the encouragement we see from Jesus. Would you make your feelings subject to the object of your faith? Acknowledge that you have feelings because God made you an emotional being. He wanted it so that our emotions would compel us to action. But he didn't want it that our feelings, seeing all the possibilities, would be overwhelmed and lose sight of who he is. So would you make your feelings subject to the object of your faith? And I left some space at the bottom of the sermon notes sheet in case you want to write down this next part. Here's three things you can do to make your feelings subject to the object of your faith so that your faith informs your feelings rather than your feelings manipulating your faith. The first thing is this. Answer the question, what feelings have you given authority to? Is it anger? Is it greed? Selfishness in some other way? Is it something different? Maybe as you're thinking about a habit or a behavior or a mindset that you want to change in the new year, the first thing you should do is ask yourself the question, what feeling have I given authority to 
to the point where it's been driving this behavior or this mindset that I want to change. And the second part is important. When you identify whatever that feeling is, fear, anger, or something else, would you just validate for a moment where that came from? For some of you, you might uh, relate with the, the person in Mark chapter 9. <laughs> this is from childhood. Like there was a moment, an exact moment in my childhood where this feeling was prompted and I've never really managed it or identified it and now it's blown up into what it is today. Or maybe for all of us, we can acknowledge this is from birth. There's a sinful element to this and my sinful nature has clogged my view so that my feelings have now informed my faith. Would you just validate for a moment where it came from and what it's doing? And then the good part. Realign your heart. Realign your feelings with godly, divine truth. Would you declare over yourself what God declares over you? You don't need to be afraid because he is with you. Whether you feel it or not, that's irrelevant. God has declared he is with you to the very end of the age. When you feel you have no purpose in life, would you declare over yourself that you are a child of God and an heir of Christ, that there is something great awaiting you that is guaranteed through Christ's resurrection? And when you're feeling hopeless, would you declare over yourself that God so loved this world that he sent his son for me, for you? I know it's hard. We're emotional beings, except for the guys. <laughs> no, we're all emotional beings. We all are driven to behavior because of something we feel. But the last thing we want is a feeling that informs our faith or calls into question our faith. So if you're ready, I invite you this week to say, I'm done with that. I'm done with having a faith that's shaped by the way I feel. This week, this year, for the rest of my life, I want to have a faith that is subject to the object of my faith by Jesus Christ himself. Next week, we're going to get into another fun topic that when it comes to the worries of life, there's something that God gives you to replace that. And next week, we're going to see how worship helps replace the worries that you might have. Let's close today with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, when it comes to the circumstances of our life, any little thing can trigger an emotional response. Um, some of us have learned to suppress our emotions in a very unhealthy way to the point where we're kind of numbed and overwhelmed all the time. Others of us, the, the emotions just get raw and uncontrollable. We've all found ways to cope with these things, but what we need from you is a solution that speaks into our feelings. We want a faith that informs the way we feel. And that's not easy, and it doesn't happen overnight. But this week, would you help us maybe just to identify one thing that you would like to change in us? Not a behavior necessarily, but a way that we've been feeling that has led to certain behaviors. Would you help us to recognize what that is? And rather than being led around by this feeling, would you guide us by the object of our faith, Jesus himself? Only he can give us peace and direction and ultimately the forgiveness that, that he gives to all. 
Thank you for your love and your guidance. Bless us in this new year as we seek to be done with the feelings that can rule over faith. Thank you, and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.